Our scripture this morning comes to us from 1 John chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 2. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed. And we have seen it and testified to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Andrew, and thanks to the musicians in person and on the, on the screen this morning. Thank you again for being here. Easter has come and gone for another year. A sure sign of that truth is that all of the leftover Easter candy that was marked down and most of it was sold out at Publix and Kroger, all except those outrageously flavored peeps that nobody in their right mind would ever eat. <laughs> Some strange flavors. Easter Day is now behind us, but according to the calendar of the church here, the liturgical year, the liturgical calendar, we are in the Easter season. Easter Tide is one of the older names for this time of the year. It's just begun. It will continue for 50 days, the great 50 days, we call it, to the day of Pentecost, May 23rd this year. The great 50 days, resurrection to ascension is 40 days, ascension to Pentecost, 10 more days. But this season of Easter has never gotten the publicity that, say, Lent or Advent gets every year. But it's nonetheless a significant time in the lives of those of us who are followers of Jesus and in the life of his church. For this Easter season at Newton First United Methodist Church, I've chosen to base our worship themes on the lectionary epistle lessons for this year, year B, all of which come from 1 John, an epistle, a letter, located in the latter portion of the New Testament. The Reverend Dr. Billy Graham used to talk about Big John and the three little Johns. 
the Gospel of John, and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So over the next six weeks, we'll move through a major portion of 1st John, beginning with today's lesson that Andrew read for us just a moment ago. Now, many of the themes celebrated in the Easter season come to life, come to light in this one particular passage, life and light and joy. The themes are played out, as one writer says, in the key of John, and naturally they recall similar themes to the, the fourth gospel. So let's take a look at the structure of today's passage for just a moment. The first section constitutes the preface of the epistle, the beginning, We'll, more fully, we'll look at that more later. But these verses are quite different from the verses that began many of the epistles or many of the letters in the New Testament. That traditional greeting is not there that we find in Paul's letters and in other places. And in fact, these sound more like the opening words of a sermon or a message or a, a homily. And they may suggest that this epistle as a whole should be read and thought about more as a sermon than as a letter. Now the second section begins the sermon proper, so to speak. Its emphasis is on light and fellowship and the life of faith as walking in the light. And then the third section, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it's a self-contained unit, and the writer urges his readers and you and me, even to this day, to break with a life of sin, to break away from the brokenness that separates us from one another and threatens to separate us from the abundant life that God offers. So the passage begins by making a case for the reality of the risen Christ. What we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, do you hear the familiarity with John's gospel's account of doubting Thomas? Unless I see, unless I touch. Doubting Thomas episode. And then the similarity with John's gospel is hard to miss. I think some of the most beautiful words in scripture are from the prologue to John's gospel. Chapter 1, verse 1 and following. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of all of us. And then the epistle to 1 John begins in similar fashion. We declare to you what was from the beginning. This life was revealed and we have seen it and testify to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and what we have heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So central to this passage is a word that We've used in the church for years and years a word we're all familiar with, fellowship, koinonia, created among those who have accepted the Christian testimony of faith. And heaven knows how much we have missed that fellowship in this past year. And what a great joy it is for those of us up here to see you out there, and I hope you find that same joy in being here. We need one another. We need those set-aside times when we can be together. We are stronger 
And we are a more effective church when our fellowship is not disrupted as it has been this past year, when we can affirm with hearts and voices what we believe, and when we can unite those hearts and voices in songs of praise to our God, whose love and mercy and grace knows no limits and no boundaries. And then comes the emphasis on the strong polarity between light and darkness, based on the conviction that God is light, and in God there is no darkness at all. Christ is understood here as the bringer, the embodiment of life and light, and moral conduct is defined in terms of our conformity to the light of God, to walk in his light. We are called to choose the light and not to walk in the darkness while claiming to be of the light. That happens to all folk. We see it all around us. We strive by the grace of God not to walk in darkness while trying to convince folks, well, we really are in the light. And it's at this point that our passage becomes a little bit iffy. Don't throw me under the church bus for describing any part of scripture as iffy, but let's talk about that. If is one of the biggest little words in our vocabularies, if you know what I mean. And I started thinking about expressions and songs. If a picture paints a thousand words, then why can't I paint you? David Gates and Brad, one of the softest of the soft rock groups in the 1970s, music I grew up with. If, if a frog had wings, and you can finish that one, and if I had only been paying more attention when I approached that intersection, she said, then I might not be confined to this bed in the orthopedic section of the nearest hospital. If, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him while we're walking in darkness, verse 7, but if we walk in the light, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And those of you who can remember the previous hymnal in the communion liturgy, this is one of the verses that we used to read on communion Sundays. And then verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, and then chapter 2 and verse 1, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, an advocate, counsel for the defense, one who pleads the cause or case of another, one call to the side of you and me to walk with us. And I love that old spiritual. I believe it's in our hymnal. I think we've used it here. I want Jesus to walk with me. It, it paints such a marvelous picture of Jesus as our advocate, one who comes alongside of us and walks with us whatever life places before us. I want Jesus to walk with me all along my pilgrim journey. Lord, I want Jesus to walk with me. In my trials, Lord, walk with me. When my heart is almost breaking, Lord, I want Jesus to walk with me. When I'm troubled, Lord, walk with me. 
When my head is bowed in sorrow, Lord, I want Jesus to walk with me. This spiritual, this beautiful song, moving song, is a prayer. It's a prayer that is pleading for an advocate, someone to walk with us when we're not sure, when life has taken a turn that we were not expecting, when things are just so difficult we can't see our way through or out of it. But how can Jesus walk with us after he has ascended into heaven? Jesus himself answered that question in the Gospel of John, Big John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he will be with you, and he will be in you. The Holy Spirit making Jesus present and powerful in our hearts and in this church and in this community and in this world. The Holy Spirit, our advocate, the presence and power of Jesus. And if, there's that big old one-syllable word again, and if Jesus is our advocate, aren't we called to advocate for one another And for those who are outside the circles of our influence, those who are outside of our bubble, how do we advocate for one another and for others? Let's talk about just a few ways briefly. Some of you may remember the last lecture. It's a book by a guy named Randy Posh, and I think I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. He was a professor of computer science at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. And the book contains a lecture that Posh gave in 2007 when he was dying of cancer. And in that lecture he said, showing gratitude is one of the most powerful things humans can do for each other. We advocate for someone else when we affirm them by saying thank you, we affirm the value of who they are and we affirm the value of their gifts toward us. To express gratitude is to become an advocate for other folks. Folks who are down on themselves need an advocate to lift them up. Opportunities abound. We don't have to look very far any day of our lives. Now, many of you may know that I'm a longtime Beatles fan since 1964 when they first showed up on the Ed Sullivan Show and I begged my mother and dad, please let me stay home from church on Sunday night so I could see the Beatles. And they did. They did. They were graceful. They did. Next Sunday night I was back in church, I promise, but I got to stay home and watch them. And one of the songs that... It's so simple, but it speaks to, I think, one of the greatest hurts and needs in this world, and it's an opportunity. It shows us where we might advocate for someone else. I won't sing it, but just a little bit of it. Eleanor Rigby picks up the rice in the church where the wedding has been, lives in a dream, waits at the window, wearing a face she keeps in a jar by the door. Who is it for? All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? Father McKenzie writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear, no one comes near. 
Look at him working, darning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. What does he care? All the lonely people, where do they all come from? And then the closing stanza, Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Father Mackenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walked from the grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? Do we know any? Are we looking around us for any lonely folk in the church, in the community, elsewhere, who need an advocate? Can you think of any other folks or groups of folks who need an advocate? Perhaps the gifts and graces given to us by a gracious and generous God can become the tools, can become the means of our advocacy in this world. And what if we joined our gifts and graces and resources with the gifts and graces and resources of other folk for the common good? What in the world would you call such a group of people? Here's a suggestion. Call them the church. And how do we begin to enumerate the ways that the Noonan First United Methodist Church has been advocating for the folks in this community for almost 200 years? But especially since early on the morning of March the 26th, 2021, advocating all of the concern expressed the contacts completed, the chainsaws cranked up, advocating, all of the limbs dragged to the curb and all of the blue tarps placed on what remains of the rooftops, advocating, all of the food prepared and shared and shelter provided, advocating, all of the guidance given in negotiating with contractors and adjusters, advocating all of the resources given to those who have nowhere to turn and nowhere to return. And on those days, when we're feeling like inadequate advocates, what if we place who we are and all that we have in the hands of the one who advocates for us, the now nail-scarred hands that were able to take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed over 5,000 folk. What if we placed it all in those hands? What an advocate. What a ministry he calls each of us to. Amen. We've changed the order of worship just slightly so that for today and on some Sundays, the prayer, the giving moment comes in response to the spoken word of God. So let me say just a word about that to remind you of all the opportunities we have to give in and through this church. The tithe and offering boxes are in the back on your way out. You may drop your gifts there. Mail your gifts in. Come by during the week and see us. We'd love to see you. You may give online. There's a QR code you can use. There are so many ways. And right now, 
Your gifts can be designated if you choose to give to the mission fund. And all those gifts marked mission fund right now will go to tornado relief in this community. And then there are always ways to give of our time and our resources to be about the business through what we give and how we live of advocating for folks who need us so much right now and looking for ways to help, looking for needs that are not being met and blessing those who are doing so much of the hard work. So keep all of that in mind, if you will. We're called to give, to live, to be advocates in this community right now. Let's pray. Gracious, loving, powerful God, we thank you that Jesus Christ came as our advocate to advocate with you so that our sins might be forgiven and we might be restored and we might be effective and faithful servants once again and all the days of our lives. And we thank you for opportunities to advocate for one another and for those around us who are struggling. Receive our gifts, whether we give them this day or send them in or whatever form we choose. Bless those gifts, multiply them, May they make a service in this church, in this struggling community, and in this world that you love so much you gave an only son. And it is in his name, the name of the risen Christ, that we pray. Amen.